everyone and welcome to episode six of the zero fucks zero effects again whatever the fuck you want to call it podcast uh, with me <laughs> with us today is the lovely rob uh say hi rob hi rob uh and... no, no, I mean, it's almost like we write this rubbish hey eh? <laughs> <laughs> and the fabulous rosie anderson rosie would you like to introduce yourself Okay, I'm Rosie Anderson. I'm a recruiter, so don't boo and hiss. Um, but I work for a company called Honey Park Digital based in Manchester. We launched at the beginning of the year. Um, pandemic's a great time to launch a recruitment business, you know. Um, but I'm here to talk about the skill shortage, how clients get it wrong and fuck it up, to be honest. And mm-hmm. <laughs> um, how there isn't really a skill shortage, but we can get onto that topic as we go. Excellent. We are very excited to have you here. So thank you very much. Um, So let's kick off with a polemic subject, because why not? Um, Talk to us about skill shortage, Rosie. What do you think of it? Do you think there is one? There is not one? Okay, well, I brought some stats with me. So in the UK, in the last six months, with cybersecurity, there were 4,542 permanent jobs advertised Uh anywhere in the UK and 2,282 contract jobs. So Mm -hmm. about 1,000 jobs a month being advertised in cybersecurity. So, you know, the demand is there. We know this. Like average salaries are 62 and a half for perm, 500 pound a day for contract. So you can understand why people want to work in cybersecurity. You know, you can earn really good money. There's demand there. But there isn't a shortage of newbies entering the industry. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because there's some fantastic courses. Rob, I know you did the Caps Lock course. There's yeah. so many Discord channels, like phone hubs and things that you can do to learn about cybersecurity. So the challenge isn't there for newbies entering the industry. They actually sometimes struggle to get a job because there's not enough jobs, there's not enough demand, then they're not showcasing the skill sets. Um, for what employers need. Yeah. Where the shortage is, is skilled talent. So, you know, people with three, four years experience in cyber of any area of cyber. But where where the problem is, there isn't a shortage of skilled talent available. They just don't want to work for shitty job adverts and shitty companies that want you on site like 70 hours a week. So that's where the disconnect is. It's It's not so much that the talent is available. It's that the businesses that are looking to hire are making it really complicated to hire talent. And that's that's my kind of hot take. I mean, I, I was thinking this would be a polemic subject, but I kind of agree with everything you've just said, to be fair. So I haven't really got an argument against it. It's like what I, when I, <laughs> when I, I get CVs coming through to me, like on LinkedIn or we get them in the sales box, sales inbox and stuff. Um, and it's always people coming to us and like, oh, I've just finished a master's in cyber. And I'm like, and so has everyone else. Like yeah. can so many people have a master's in cyber and what, yeah. what, what else have we done? Like there's, and I must get, I must get five a week. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, what are you saying? A, I don't know why I send them to me because I, I fuck all hiring. Um, <laughs> but B, like what and what? Like every, do you know who else has just finished a course in a master's in cyber? Every other fucker on your course, every other single one of them, they've all just yeah. as well. So what are you? Why would I hire you over one of them? Yeah, I think there's a lot of there is a lot of help out there for people who are wanting to get into cybersecurity. there's loads of great courses but it's showcasing who you are what you've learned i always get told you know we want the mindset we want the security mindset like okay you want the security mindset so why are you assessing candidates via a cv you know a one-dimensional piece of paper why aren't you assessing them on their portfolio what they've learned what they can showcase 
phone hub, CTF, challenges that they've done, events, um, you know, networks. Like there's so many B-sides, there's like there's Ladies Hacking Society, another fantastic resource, not mm-hmm. just for women. There's so many different ways to tap into that talent um, or for that talent to tap into industry. That's what you need to do to get yourself noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Caps Lock trainees from, from the last year, they did videos, they did, they did so many cool things to showcase what they are and who, who they've learned. And that's what you need to do at that entry level. But that's not where the shortage is. The shortage is clients that are hiring for DevSecOps engineers or security mm. architects or pen testers. You know, you work for a pen test consultancy. When you're trying to find good pen testers, you can't just stick an advert out and think, yay, let's sit back and wait for all this great talent to come and work for, work for me, especially if your advert's really boring. It's like a description of job advert should be completely different. Why should someone want to come and work for you? And that's at that level. So at the entry level, it's why should someone employ you? But at the experience level, it's why should somebody want to come and work for you? And that's the same for contractors and perm. Mm-hmm. You know, contractors care about what they're doing as well. Um, and that's where the shift needs to be if we're to solve this skill shortage. It's not a skill shortage. It's an expectation shortage. And I think the power has completely shifted to the talent and, and the experienced market anyway but this this is something that's been coming for a long long time and not just in this sector yeah uh, i am unfortunately old enough to remember um job seeking in the 80s with <laughs> cvs being century posted in adverts in C- cw jobs newsletter at, um... exactly yeah i mean you, you read I through the local we, papers and, and i thought we established last week that you were 18 rob that's what we're yeah. going to do anyway yeah but we also established last week that I, I time travel. So, well, you know, yeah. well but- I, I'm the same. People always think when I say I've got 15 years recruitment experience that I was born in recruitment. Obviously, I'm not look 15. I'm, I've got a lot of makeup on and my hair covering my, my wrinkles. But I have, I've done this since I was 16 and I'm 36. So I've done it for 20 years. Um, but it was IT and that's how it was. It, and it, it was, you'd put a job in the, um, a job in the Sentinel where we are in Stoke-on-Trent um, and you'd just wait for the applicants to, and they would flood in, but you'd get people saying, I want a job in this IT. I can use a computer. <laughs> just like, <laughs> but but you, not- you laugh, Rosie. I mean, I'm still seeing adverts now yeah. saying that we're, we're looking for people who have got, um, oh, what's the expression that they use? Because it, it's it's the wrong expression that it's now not going to come to me and it's going to drive me nuts for the next hour and everyone who's listening to this as well. Um, but we want people who are um, competent with Microsoft Office. Proficient. 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 Yes, yeah. they don't want proficiency. What they want is somebody who can open an Office document, yeah, edit it and save it. That's not proficiency in Excel. No. Proficiency in Excel is being able to create and manipulate data. Yeah, but and and it's just insane how how bizarre the requests for talent. Yeah, we get so so many times. So we get a job in, and the first thing we'll do is we'll ring the hiring manager. Okay, this job spec, it says you want ten years experience. Oh, I don't really need ten. I need five. Why have you put ten on then? Um, yeah. Oh, we don't need that anymore. That that was two years ago. And half the time, you can see the date stamp on the job spec. They're two years old. So it's like, yeah. what? Right. A, why has this got through your recruitment process? Because as soon as you go out to market, if I go out to market this week and the spec is 10 years, and then I ring someone back in two weeks' time and actually they only want five years, 
you've just complete like the candidates thinking you don't know what you fucking want no. like, what what your reputation if you want to hire the best talent your reputation as an employer is so important and it's not just job specs there's so many oh this is this is my rant um it's not just job specs it's everything from the candidates that you say no to i think reg put on linkedin the other day she'd had a rejects email from eight years ago from a company that she'd applied for it's like don't even bother after eight years don't bother after eight weeks excuse me sorry eight years it took eight, eight years to send a no thank you letter yeah I think she probably, well, I mean, if she were waiting for them to come back to her, she'd have died, wouldn't she, really? Without, yeah. without you know, I didn't get that job. I was just going to wait for a little bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. don't bother with definitely get point. in touch. I love how she put them on LinkedIn to say, yeah, cheers. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that's what you deserve. That's what you deserve at this point. You should, like, they must be cleansing the database, and at some point she didn't get a reject email or God knows. God, I don't even know why I'm trying to defend them. Um, it's the same as like, <laughs> if somebody's a no, okay, tell them, but give them some feedback as to, okay, you're a no because of X, Y, Z. This is what you can do to improve. And then we regularly get that person who interviewed last year. Are they still available? What are they doing now? You know, we've got another opportunity. And if we've gone back to say, yeah, you're a no, no feedback. Um, and that's on the recruiter as well whether that's internal recruitment or recruitment agency to give decent feedback, they're going to say, no, they rejected me. No. It's like an ex-boyfriend. Well, not an ex-boyfriend. I don't know. Yeah, it's the same kind of theory coming back and going, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. If you don't handle that process well, you're not going to re-engage talent. Oh, sorry, I'm going to use loads of like bullshit recruitment speak as well. You're not going to re-engage talent, but they're also going to be talking to the friends and be like, God, don't go and interview for them. They were right, shit. But companies must understand this because on the other side of the coin, this is how you do sales. Yeah. You know, you, you go out of your way to give your customers, or at least you certainly should be going out of your way to give your customers the best experience that you can give them so that yeah. they walk away from their interaction with you feeling positive with, with lots of exciting stuff happening in their brains that's linked directly to your company brand. Yeah. Why are you not doing exactly that with the people you want to help develop and, and sell that brand? It mm -hmm. makes no sense. So I know people, and I'm not going to say any names, but I know people who've worked somewhere and had a really shit experience and then gone to work for a big vendor, say, and that's their client. And they're like, there's no way I'm going to work with them. Because it, it insecurity, it does completely come around. You know, everybody knows... Not everybody knows everyone else, you know, there'd be no need at all for recruiters, but everybody kind of knows industries. Everybody knows like the little trade secrets. Everyone knows where the weirdos are or, you know, them, them dirty little secrets in recruitment or places where that's a really toxic manager, don't go and work for them. Mm. And that sometimes is where the newbies that come in, that we do need more. Well, that's where respect and security comes in as well, actually. We need some way of signposting for people to be on there, especially women. We are trying to push more women into this industry, more um, more juniors, more graduates, more new to the industry type people. We've got to make sure that we can protect them and not put them in those kind of shit scenarios where there is nasty things going on. Um, but it's, the, it's exactly the same for sales because if I know 
So there's certain companies I know I would never want to recruit for them without. So, you know, we do say we're ethical. Um, we put people before profit, tech before toys. You know, we care about people's careers. And people have come to us and said, will you hire for us? I'm like, not a chance. Not a chance will we hire for you. Um, so it does work both ways because you're not going to get people does, working for you. Well, there's one big three-letter acronym. Yeah, we've said no to them. Yeah, because, well, they wanted to hire all of the women from Caps Lock. They were like, we need some diversity, so can we just, like, interview every woman that you've got? It's literally not how fucking diversity works. You don't no. hire a load of women and then suddenly you're diverse. Like, that's not... It needs to be embedded in the culture of the organisation. The managers need to understand that you treat women... Well, yeah, like, not differently to men, but do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. There's got to be an understanding of the people that you're recruiting. You can't just go turn around and be like, hmm, we need some diversity today. I know. I'm gonna, hire all, I'm gonna hire 50 women and then we'll be 50-50 as a company. Like that's not that's not it. What? If you hire 50 women who'd all worked the same business and they'd all worked, been on the same training course and all been taught the same way how to apply security principles, there's you know, you're not gonna get that much diversity anyway, because they've all been taught the same way. You get more diversity from having four people from four different universities or four different backgrounds, mm -hmm. you know, people from an apprentice program. It doesn't matter if they all look, it doesn't matter if they all look like Tom Cruise. Don't know why I've said Tom Cruise, but if they all looked exactly the same, they had all worked in different backgrounds. Of, obviously, they all look like Rob. Um, it, he reminded me of Tom Cruise. That's what it is. <laughs> um, they would all... If they all look the same, but they've got different backgrounds, they've worked in different environments, they've one's been university educated, one's kind of worked through an apprenticeship, one's a career changer, they're gonna have, they're gonna be diverse because they've got diversity of thought. That's what we and you talked about at the University of the West of England. Yes. A few, a few weeks back, didn't we, where we went and talked about like the fact that we need diversity of candidates, but that diversity needs to be a diversity of thought. So it doesn't matter if it's like four white middle-aged blokes if those four mm. white middle-aged blokes one's been in the army one's a career changer from being a teacher or something one's come through the ranks in the i don't know he's like super technical whatever they've all got different backgrounds mm. so there is actually so as much as you say you know it's just four white blokes yeah it's not is it it's you don't know who's autistic you don't know you, you don't know anyone's background by looking judging them no. on the color of the skin this is the whole principle of racism you don't know what people are going through in the background you can't judge at face value somebody but that's why in recruitment you shouldn't just rely on a two-dimensional cv mm -hmm. because somebody's cv doesn't show how they think you know i really advocate particularly for junior levels portfolios but the same for experienced technical people the portfolios what have you done you know if you've if you've cracked any cvs if you've what are you learning how how can you show show me talks that you've done show me who you are that's more interactive than a two-page cv because a cvs are really hard to write i work in recruitment and i've never written my own cv so sometimes i feel super critical when i'm giving people feedback <laughs> on cvs um but it's it's an art to write a cv you can spend all that time writing a CV against a job spec. The job spec isn't right because the hiring manager couldn't be asked to update it or it came through HR and they just took a stock one from three years ago. It's like, it can be an absolute waste of time. You should use your networks. Mm -hmm. You should go to events. You could be on Twitter, on LinkedIn. These are these are the ways and not just client and not just for candidates. This is what hiring managers should do. This is why you should have either a, a recruitment person within your business that is, fully responsible for employee brand, 
beating your managers over the head for feedback on interviews or whatever because it will affect your employer brand not having like a five-stage interview process like putting on your job adverts okay you can be based from anywhere if you can be remote you can be based from anywhere people don't put it on why if you can take part-time you know you might never have employed somebody part-time or even not part-time like the hours of nine to five people don't work that way anymore Mm. not everybody now this is a real radical change but why do you have to dictate the hours okay if you're a a sock you know you've got set you're 24 7 or if you've got core hours for your clients but not everybody works well in the morning some people prefer to work later some people prefer to work mornings Mm. if you can really radicalize how you recruit I'm I'm obviously one of those people that wakes up at six a.m. and has does yoga and drinks some oh yeah chai latte before yeah before work that's such a fucking lie I don't I roll out of bed at about five to eight and hopefully <laughs> well I tell you what, I, I I remember something that I've I've been wanting to call you out on actually Rosie for a while oh, since you said yeah. it earlier on no 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 it, it's not a bad thing although it is a bad thing because I'm calling you on it what you said was we need to protect. Uh, newbies into the industry from toxic companies and actually I'm going to call you on that I don't think we should be protecting newbies from toxic companies I think we should be rejecting toxic companies and I think that that's something that we you know I I don't think it's right that we are protecting because that implies that uh, we know these people are shit and we're going to let them get away with it and we're just going to guide you away from them and actually we should be guiding them and their attitudes away from our industry yeah Um, and, and I just I had to call you on that. I'm sorry. Uh. I just know toxic companies, definitely. Now, there are places where they won't be right for everybody, but they will train you really fucking well. And within the first five years, they'll, they'll put you through certs. And if that's the type of training environment where you all learn the same, it's kind of bullpenny. Um, bullpenny? Is that even a word? Like the, a bullpen. Where you're all kind of trained and learned together and you might end up, you know, you'll get a wide variety of projects to work on, mm-hmm. but you're not going to finish your career there. You're going to learn, get your certs, get exposure to a wider area of projects. But what we need to be doing is those types of companies need to be really honest when they're recruiting to say it's it's like a dating profile. You don't you don't say you're like five, you're six foot brunette and you're not, you're a five foot blonde. There's, at some point you're going to get called out. Mm-hmm. You you have to be really honest about the problems yeah. that you're trying to solve. If there's a culture shift that's happening behind the scenes, be honest about that and own it and say to people, not everybody is going to love this environment. Some people do. So I, I know of like betting clients where some people love them, some people hate them. It's really intense, fast-paced work because, you know, betting is if, if you can't place a bet at company X, you're going to go onto the website of company Y. Mm-hmm. So some places... Some people aren't going to enjoy that kind of high pressure environment, but the best companies will come and say, you know, this is how we work. This is, this is who we are. We know this, we will reward you really well. We'll offer you X, Y, and Z. You'll get intense training and exposure to massive platforms and massive technical environments and really cool technical challenges to solve where you can actually see what you're doing. So every company's got to own their quirks. So you might be a super intense um, betting company, for example, where you know, you're going to have to be on site every day. You're going to be working really long hours, um, but you're going to work with super technical people. The technologies that you're working with or the projects you're working on, you'll see them in in real life. You know, you'll you'll be able to physically see what you've worked on and how secure it is. Yeah. That isn't for everyone. We're like, 
you know, betting companies typically pay really good salaries. There is some flexibility, but it's super intense because if a, for a betting company, if they're down or their site's slow, the user would then go to a competitor. So that is a really intense environment. There's companies where you might, um, for example, consultancies, where they're going to put you through like pen test certs and you're going to get loads of qualifications. But chances are, post-pandemic or pre-pandemic, you're going to be traveling a lot. You're going to be on the road. You're going to be working 80-hour days. Um, mm. Again, that's a great place for somebody who wants to learn and get exposure to so many different types of projects. But they've got to realize that that is going to be intense consulting life. You know, when the world returns to normal, I'm sure we'll all be back living in suitcases again and traveling. Um, every business can has different quirks. So some places, like the police, or the public sector, the salaries are going to be crap, unless you're a contractor. But even then, you know, it might be inside IR35. You need to own the projects that you're working on to say, okay, our rates or our salaries aren't going to be as competitive as the private sector. But the benefits package and, the, you know, you're working to save the NHS, you're working to save people's lives. That's, that's how important this is. Mm. By owning that and making that your strength, you will attract the right sort of people who, okay, maybe this pay isn't as important anymore. It's the public sector pension. I think by doing that as well, you're attracting people that fit with the culture of your organisation. So it's about telling people what the culture of the business is. If that's the culture of your organisation is you expect people to be there at eight o'clock in the morning to do a stand-up and, um, I don't know, yeah, like you said, a really fast-paced environment, People, if people know that, then the kind yeah. of people that thrive in those kind of environments will naturally be the people that apply for it. Yeah. So everyone will be happier. Like the organization will get what it wants in terms of culture, and the staff will be, we're working in an environment that they're happy with, or that they, at least they understand, like you said, they understand that's what the environment is that they're going into. Yeah. Um, but that is that. So it's one, that's one of the things that I always tell people to ask when they're in an interview. I think a lot of people forget interviews is a two way process. I think yeah. the issue with a lot of candidates when they're going for a job interview, they think, "Shit, I've got to impress this company." And it's like, well, the company kind of has to impress you as well. Like, like you said, it's like a date. The guy, yeah. the boyfriend doesn't just pick the girlfriend. The girlfriend has to also pick the boyfriend. Like, yeah, two way fucking process, right? Um, you can't just be like, I'm going to go out with you because, um, you know, I'd be going out with Ryan Reynolds if that was if we were capable of doing that. Yeah. Um, Seriously, because he called me last night, Amy, and asked if I had your number. Oh, my God. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah. But it, it is. Particularly the more, the more experienced candidates get, um, you'll find, like, the places where, where they're saying, we want a face-to-face interview. Really? Like, this person, if, if, an experienced pen tester, like five years experience, chances are they've got like four, if they're actively looking or they're working with a recruiter, um, chances are they've got four companies caught in them. Mm. So it's going to be fastest, quickest, slickest. You know, if they need to prove why they're a great place to work. You know, what what are they interested in? Is it the types of projects? It, the, but the recruiter should know all of these things. What's their drivers? Is it money? And for some people, it is money. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um some people it's interesting projects, some people it's remote work, some people it's I don't work before 10 o'clock. You know, it's that kind of flexibility. It's not always about money. It's about all those different quirks and flexibility and all those different things. It's different for everybody. Some people actually want to take a step back. 
Uh, they don't want to be traveling anymore, but they want to work on interesting projects. Mm -hmm. Some people are really interested in hardware security or IoT. You know, it's really it's understanding what's the driver of that person. And that's where having a middleman, whether it's a recruiter or whether it's your internal recruitment person can say, OK, hiring manager, I know you're really busy. This is everything you need to know about this candidate. You need to interview them tomorrow or Joe Bloggs, competitor X, competitor Y is interviewing them tomorrow. Do you mm -hmm. want to see them? Yes, no maybe okay that's that's fine yeah. but at the same time if you're a company that's only ever focusing on new talent and we only want to hire new talent who's looking after your current employees who's giving them interesting projects who's giving them ways to stretch and grow and interesting projects to work on in new areas because if not it, recruitment isn't just it's about the whole process because your competitors are after these people and if you're a place where you're forcing people back into the office and it's going to be five days a week and oh people are just lazy they can't be asked to come in the office anymore if you're forcing people to do that your employees are all going to be looking elsewhere or they're going to be being contacted by your competitor who's offering more money offering better projects offering better flexibility and you're going to be constantly hiring that's why recruitment is so important. And that's why, you know, recruiters do get a bad name. I get that. There are some shitty recruiters, some really fucking good recruiters as well. Mm -hmm. And there's some really good internal recruitment people. But businesses that don't care enough about recruitment and just think, oh, it's another admin function, that's where they get it wrong. And that's where the talent shortage is. The do good companies hire. We come across this issue quite a lot in security, and it's like an issue of it being a silo. So it's like recruitment ends up being a silo from the rest of the organisation. So the recruitment's going out and like marketing the business as one thing to bring the talent in, but if the business doesn't know that's what they're being marketed as, yeah, then you're gonna lose people because they're gonna turn up on day one and be like, "This isn't what I fucking signed up for. I signed up for whatever this internal recruiter has told me this company's like." Because they're yeah. basically doing a marketing and sales job, like you say. Um, so if the marketing doesn't connect with the actual reality, then yeah. you're going to lose your staff again. Like it, that's the it's like re recruitment and retention. I guess is like they, they're really closely linked, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I mean, they're they're very much linked um, because obviously, if your retention levels are low, your recruitment levels shoot up as a direct result of that. Mm -hmm. But something that worries me or concerns me, I'm not sure my language. I've forgotten. It's the wrong time of day for me to even be functioning properly is I think there is an issue with the way recruitment exists within the modern world in that recruitment is still quite an old-fashioned scenario, area. And, I mean, certainly, I mean, I've got children at the, the top end of secondary school now who are being spoken to about careers. And the idea that you'll join a company for six months, nine months is, is unheard of and disgusting. And no, 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 you be looking for where you're going to be for the next 15 years or I mean it's complete nonsense because that's not how the employment market works um the idea I mean we are now in a position talking about ourselves where we say yes the interview process is a two-way process mm. but at 18 years old these people are not being told that they're being told that you know you've got to look your smartest you've got to comb your hair you've got to go in with your cv and, and it's completely unrealistic based on what we know now. And that's a lot of that is to do with the fact that teachers, and I have nothing against teachers. I'm from a teaching family and married to one. Teachers aren't educated in that side of life. It's and just they're the ones who are educating their children. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot, of, a lot of parents are educated in that as well. Like, 
Of course not. My mum's been telling my brother how to like turn up for an interview, and I'm like, he doesn't need to wear a suit. Like, it's totally not. I've got clients where we had to tell people if you turn up in a suit, they're gonna straight away they're thinking, mm, not gonna fit in here. Um, especially, especially in tech, like yeah, in tech, like I well, I turn up with pink hair and a nose ring and band t-shirts on. Like to be fair, this morning I did do a call in my pajamas because I didn't get dressed on time. Um, like I don't like honestly the pandemic. I don't care. They're not talking to me because they're not talking to me because of what I look like. Well, I mean, obviously sometimes they're not. <laughs> they're not talking to me because of what I look like. They're talking to me because I've got something interesting to say, or I hope that's why people want to talk to me. Yeah. No one gives a fuck what I'm wearing. Why would they? Because I'm not there to. What 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 difference does it make? Yeah, I think I think what you've just said though, Rob, is so true. We have there's so much STEM outreach, and there is quite a lot of cyber STEM outreach, and the businesses that actually are forward thinking are thinking, you know, these students of today could be our next apprentices, could be our next trainees. We'll yeah. do those kind of things. There's there's loads more. When I was I did I was one of the strange girl. I think I was one girl um, who did IT as GCSE. I think there was me and like a load of boys it was ace um <laughs> nowadays there's loads more girls doing it i was 16 you know um there's so much more push to get all different types of people in i think um eliza's done like a coding uh, work group for kids the age of four mm-hmm. to eight because we switch so many girls off before they even get to picking their gcse subjects and if they don't do it you know it is going to be harder for them to get in it's not impossible them to get in but if they want to do a degree it's quite hard to go on to a computer science or a cybersecurity degree i have said it before and i will say it again stop fucking going into schools and teaching girls to code and go and tell them that stalking their boyfriend on twitter is actually OSINT and part of cybersecurity you will yeah. have like all of the girls will turn up into cyber you'll have no there'll be no gender <laughs> there's no trained in social engineering like my my 18 month old knows when i say no for the chocolate drawer she goes picks what she wants and takes it to a brother to open it like see, they know how to get around parents like girls know how to social engineer they they know how to do OSINT there's, there's no reason why girls shouldn't be in cyber like just no, no, really all, all, me. All, all the top social engineers like Lisa, Jenny, they're girls. Yeah. Like that's because they're good at it because we're naturally manipulative and like being in charge. I say all the time, I know so, right, all the famous hackers that you've had recently, ignore this now. I know so much information about businesses, skills, you know, who's moving, who's where, all the inside secrets for businesses that we hire for, but that we recruit talent for. Like recruitment agencies, and I'm sure they already are a target. The amount of insight that I have into how businesses work and the technologies and, and the architecture within a business and what works together from job specs, it's scary how much insight I, I have if I want you to use it properly. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to use it properly. Please don't kill me now, bad hacker people. Um, <laughs> it's, but it's, there's so much information out there that you can get. And yeah. I, I, will, I did an assessment at 16 and one of the things it said I should do was um, a recruitment consultant, which my mum was like, no, you can't do recruitment. I was meant to go to Oxford and all these kind of things. And I ended up in recruitment. Um, It is a skill. And I think recruiters get a bad name in the same way that, you know, salespeople get a bad name and vendors get a bad name. But I think people need to 
be aware that it, we don't just stick a job advert out there. I, I had a look at some of the job adverts on LinkedIn, like a cybersecurity manager role in Birmingham for a company. It's been out a week and there's one applicant because people aren't looking for jobs. They're expecting they are talent. You will come and find them. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that is an art form. So we had Tommy DeVos come and talk to my Capslock team on Friday. And he said he did the episode with Jack Ryder, the Darknet Diaries, and basically said he was due to start with a bank and they realized his criminal record, that they couldn't be insured. And where he's working now, um, the person heard this, um, the the CTO heard this, spoke to his insurers and said, I want to hire that person. And he knew, because Tommy said on different things, that he doesn't answer his DMs. He gets DMs all the time on Twitter. So he'd worked out how many characters, um, you get a preview in a DM, how many characters would come up and craft, spent about two hours crafting a message so that it would get his attention to get him. And that is the kind of things that we have to do. We don't just spam out LinkedIn messages saying, do you want a job? Do you want a job? If you're going to find someone who's not looking for a job, you need to sell why why you're contacting them, why you want to hire them, why you want to speak to them, why you think they're a good fit and why this company could be a good fit for them. So mm-hmm. is it interesting projects? Is it remote work? Is it super sexy projects? Is it unlimited budget to hire your own team? Is it challenging projects to fill? And if you don't know that information and you're hiring, you don't know why someone should work for you. Mm-hmm. You need to look at your process and say, this is why we have a skill shortage. But people don't. They don't look at the process. They don't consider the process. And there is there is an attitude of, well, why on earth wouldn't people want to come to work for us? We've put the advert out. Nobody's coming. Clearly, it's not our fault. Yeah. It must be the fault of, of the industry. There's a skill shortage. It's, I'm going to blame all the recruiters. They keep sending the wrong people. No, but people generally as as a human race we don't like looking at our own failures and putting them right i saw but we need to i saw a brilliant example of that this morning on twitter where some guy was moaning that he'd not had a girlfriend for like five years and he was like what's wrong with all what's wrong with all the women was that the profile where he was (laughs) i think i think i've seen that on twitter where he was like in his mid 40s and he wanted someone who was born like between 18 and 25 and yeah is it that one what's yeah. wrong with, what's wrong with all the girls Wait, maybe what's wrong with you so yeah i think companies need to take a bit of an introspective look rather than blaming candidates but we can pick this up after the news Bong! Here's the news. First up, the news that a Missouri politician has demanded the prosecution of a journalist who found and responsibly disclosed a vulnerability in a state website. Reporters for a local newspaper had discovered a web app leaking around 100,000 social security numbers in the app's source code, viewable by hitting the F12 key. Hackers everywhere are now concerned for their job security after it was discovered that hitting F12 isn't that difficult and you don't even need OSCP to do it. Next, the news that an email marketing company holding the details of up to a million UK teachers and school admin personnel was potentially exposing the information to the public internet because of a misconfigured error page on their website. 
pen test partners disclosed the vulnerability to the organization who reportedly dismissed the findings. Sounds like they need to go back to school. And finally, Google's virus total service has reportedly shown that 95% of ransomware identified by its systems targets Windows operating systems. With the release of the new MacBook on the horizon, that this makes sense as Apple users are going to have to have no cash to pay ransom if they're forking out the £1,900 for the latest model. You stay secure, InfoSec community. Starting in the southwest, the run of unusually warm weather we've had is resulting in a growing area of high pressure around Exeter. Nothing to do with the weather, that's just on the roads. Historically, of course, this is mining country, so keep an eye out for adventurous types wearing head torches. Moving on up into the Midlands, we see thick cloud cover. No precipitation to speak of, just badly named products and poorly designed user interfaces. The picture changes as we move further east. Keep an eye out for sin flooding, especially in low-lying areas. More or less the same picture moving north, though obviously wetter, colder and different accents. Don't expect too much change as we move into the weekend. Expect patches of sunshine and broken cloud with the occasional shower. Misty in the mornings and, of course, a high chance of ransomware. Thank you. Amy, mm. is that the same weather we've had every week so far? Yes. There's... Spent a quite a lot of money on the Spinny Zero Fox logo, so. Well, I think it makes us look like idiots. But anyway. I don't give a fuck. I'm all right. <laughs> That's <laughs> right then, isn't it? <laughs> so, Rosie, go back. Something I, I, I've recently been going through the job search route myself. Um, actually, not so recently anymore. We're about two months, three months after I got a job now. So one thing that really irritated me was the amount of companies who were, were singing and dancing about all the wonderful benefits that they would offer me, which were, in fact, not benefits. They were legal statutory requirements. Yeah. You know, we will give you 25 days holiday. No, you won't. No, you won't. If you were given a choice, you would not give me 25 days holiday. Let's be honest about this. Yeah. And it's really irritating. They're not actually offering me anything. Do you get, do you get a 3% pension as well? Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, you mean I can take my money and put it into my pension and you, because you're forced to, will top it up. OK, got it. Why aren't they actually offering benefits? You know, you will work for a company that will provide you with training, mentoring. Yeah. Whatever it might be. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really frustrating. I think I'm not going to blame <laughs> internal recruitment, but. I think sometimes there's a stock thing to stick on a job spec. It's like with security clearances, um, you know, you can't technically ask for a security clearance. You know, you're not allowed to say you are going to reject people if they don't have a security clearance because it's government mandate to say you should be open to everybody. Realistically, if you have a project that's starting in a week, you're going to want someone who's security clear because the process takes six weeks. Um, but it's this statutory sort of lines that people stick on. The best companies will have a look at what they offer. We'll actually ask the, the recruitment partners to have a look at what their competitors offer and make it better. So the best I've seen is things like unlimited holidays, 
working from home. And it really frustrates me, you know, we have a pool table in the office or a foosball or a beer fridge. I don't drink, but at least they're offering something different and saying, telling you a little bit about the culture. You know, we have healthy Mondays and breakfasts. What people really care about is the projects, particularly in security, is the projects. What are you going to pay me? Why do you not put an advert on? Uh, why don't you not put your salary on your advert? Oh. If it's because, if it's because your current team might find out, I think recruitment's going to be a constant thing for you in the future. Because mm. if you're underpaying your current staff and bringing new people in higher because the market's changed, that's what you need to do. The best, like where I was uh, before, I'd worked there for 15 years because of 2P. Uh, like I'd worked for my auntie's business in recruitment and I'd worked there for years and I never looked, ever looked out um, at another job. And the reason somebody was able to poach me wasn't money, although they did pay me a hell of a lot more. It was autonomy, being able to create something new. Half the time it isn't about money, but if you're not advertising your salaries, what's the point in applying? I spoke to someone yeah. the other day. Um, I've got a wish list from a client, which you know I don't like working from a wish list. And when I when I told him what the salary was, he was like, oh, my God, that's daylight robbery. That's that's a skill set that's brand new. They want the best people and they want to pay them that. Yeah. Good luck. And I fed that back because they've they've told me scout the market, see what they need to pay. The salaries are about 30 grand out of what they need to be. I You're think looking for the same talent as everybody else. You want someone five days a week on site, five days a week on site. Really? And you want to pay them that? I think, I think what you're saying about like the benefits and not always like tangible benefits for people mm. like what you're saying about autonomy like at my last place I couldn't write what I wanted on LinkedIn because the marketing department would come and tell me off about it if I wrote like if I wrote four so I used to have to censor my own thoughts uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I bet you did your creative best work I did all, of my, yeah. I did all of my brilliant, brilliant work when I was there. No, not at all. Whereas at my current company, I've got autonomy over what hours I'm working. Um, like I can do things like this podcast. I, yeah, I can say fuck as many times as I like, and I do on a regular basis. Um, like it, it just, I, it, that's like worth so much more to me than any. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, if I can get like a ten grand, that'd be great. But, um, but, but, but that kind of autonomy and that kind of is in, in, intangible benefit that's worth so much more to me than. Yeah. But also, it, it's very odd because for some people that's really comforting, and for other people that's really scary. So I, I recently, well, actually not so recently, a couple of years ago, I took on uh, a worker. Um, she was absolutely fantastic, and I actually wrote in her contract. Uh, under hours, because legally you have to write the amount of hours you expect somebody to work. And under under hours in her contract, I wrote, you are not contracted for any amount of hours, any time at all, so long as you do what you need to do. And that was my, my official yeah. legal statement. And that was absolutely perfect for her. That's exactly what she wanted. And she was brilliant. She worked, she'd be on the train going home drunk from a party and somehow managed to pull out a sale. I mean, she was incredible. Still is incredible, actually. Um, but then we we got uh, absorbed absorbed by another company. Their HR team saw it and just panicked. Absolute mm. terror. How can you do that? How can you trust her? She, she'll have no idea what's expected of her. Well, actually, that's what it's down to, trust. If you're bringing in an expert, why, why, why do you need to 
tell them what to do and tell them what hours to do. Mm-hmm. You give them a task, you cybersecurity strategy, make this more secure, embed security into our process, and then let them do it. And if you need to dictate where they need to work, how they need to work, what they need to do, then that's okay if it's a junior person that you're going to train and invest in. But if you're only going to invest in them to this point and then keep them down because actually we don't want someone else to steal our talent, that's that's not a great recruitment strategy. You need to, A, look at hiring different people into your business with different skills and different mindsets that can bring fresh ideas. Mm-hmm. But you also then need to empower people within your business to do their best work. And if that's learning, moving departments, moving into different areas, you know, it's, this it isn't rocket science. It's very sensible, but it's so hard for companies to do. Yeah, I mean, I've worked, I've worked at a company where I was in sales and I had to be at my desk at nine until five. And our team got to go on lunch 12 till one and the other team got to go on lunch one till two. The fuck? That does I'd be that, really pissed off that, if it was the one till two team. Really, <laughs> really, really does not work for me as a fucking yeah. business model, like at all. I like so like when I'm doing sales, I'll be talking to people at midnight sometimes because mm. that's when the customer's available. I always my boss is always like, You don't do anything on a Monday morning. I'm like, Well, of course I don't, because everyone fucker's busy in a meeting. Who am I talking? There's no one to talk to on a Monday morning because all the CISOs or people that are gonna buy stuff off me are all setting themselves up for the week. So no, I do very little on a Monday morning, but on like a Thursday night when they're all at a beer, I'm like all over LinkedIn. <laughs> Talk, talking to people, <laughs> so I work. So I work different hours. Yeah, I. Well, I this, you said, Rosie, this is about trust, and it really scares me. I mean, for me personally, as as previously as an employer, trust for me is an absolute. It's either mm-hmm. on or it's off. There's no there's no yeah. levels of. And when I had anyone working for me, I trusted them with what I considered the most important thing, which was the reputation of my company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why would I then not trust them with how many hours they're doing a day? Or why would I not trust them about whether they're taking a longer lunch than I feel is acceptable? It's completely absurd because actually the name of my business and the reputation of my business has so much more value than a couple of hours taken here or there. Yeah. I find it very peculiar the way – and it, it's almost like it's – it's. Um, I wonder how much of it is to do with the fact that older members of the board are still um, having a too much control and yeah. are trying to do it too much how it used to be. Yeah. Because it, it's just not realistic in today's world. So when I um, when I got contacted for Honeypot, I was on maternity leave with my second child. And our company has financial backing and an investor. And he'd said to Matt, she's on maternity leave. Are you sure you really want to hire her? What if she goes on maternity leave again? Like, <gasps> and, yeah. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a genuine. It was a genuine concern. Um, I said no. She's the best person for the job. I trust her. I trust her. And if she has another child, she has another child. She can still work. I work part time hours in a startup, um, and I work probably more hours than most people who work full time hours because I'm passionate and I care about it. Mm-hmm. And this is. I have two babies, and I have three babies with Honeypot. Um, and I was also sterilized when I had my second child, but I didn't tell him that till after. <laughs> so, <laughs> as if children. <laughs> so I knew there was no more babies in my future. <laughs> I was like, oh, I didn't know that. I was like, yeah, yeah. It wasn't a concern. <laughs> but it's not something you could ask someone. Are you sterilized? Are you planning any more children? Well, 
it's also irrelevant because I can take paternity leave. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's not just a female issue. Yeah. You can take 12 months paternity no. leave. Yeah, exactly. I don't know why. So I, it, I think it's quite interesting that, yeah, it is a concern. It does come across as a concern for women, but it's never a concern for a bloke. Like, are you going to take a career break? Like, yeah. I always think, well, blokes, what if a bloke is doing, like, some stupid trick on his motorbike because boys do stupid shit like that and he breaks his leg? Are you going to fucking ask him if he's going to do that? Because he could be off work for six weeks. Yeah. Like, or play football while they're really old and not, yeah. like, should be playing football anymore because if they break a bone, they're off work. This was a debate I had with my husband the other day who's a plasterer and he broke a rib playing football last night. Nice. Self-employed Ouch. plasterer. So he's plastering with a broken rib. <laughs> Oh, for, yeah, because you're self-employed. <laughs> you're not dead. You're still working. It's that yeah. simple. <laughs> I want to know how you break a, a rib playing football. I mean, I, I played rugby for a number of years and didn't break a rib. So yeah. something's wrong there. Yeah. What but, are you telling me? Are you telling me I shouldn't be trusting my husband? <laughs> <He's not laughs> football. Yeah, he, he's, he's actually out riding motorbikes and not telling you, yeah. clearly. <laughs> but it is, it is absurd that it's this attitude of well you know women are going to disappear not not women may disappear to have a child women will disappear and have, first of all they're not disappearing secondly oh, oh there's so many things forget secondly yeah. it's just so irritating yeah and then men are expected to never leave the office yeah oh it's there's two yeah there's two sides to the coin it's uh-huh. why do you want to go to an activity because my child's playing like my child's in intensity we have like our school is now just started post-covid they're like right your parents can come in every week if you want to and do so many different things because we're taking back you know the, the school education so there's something every week yeah. i sent my husband to the coffee morning the other day the macmillan coffee morning because i was like babe i can't do this <laughs> <laughs> like, i'm doing the forest school um but right. there is, there's so many different things. And I think the pandemic has shown us, like you just said, Amy, you, you can do calls with people in your pajamas. We are human. We are inviting people into our homes. But during lockdown, my husband described it as, we're not working at home. We're, we're working in an open prison. We can go to work or stay at home and work. You can't do anything fun. It's like being in an open prison. Mm. You're inviting people into your home. So when we were children, you know, we had to do homeschooling. Um, my five-year-old, it, it was the month that Honeypot started or I started a Honeypot. So he had to stay at home and do that. Yeah. But so many times Matt will be on the phone to me and then suddenly I'm like throwing a conversation to Sai or like Marlo's disrupting me. It's like, I've just got so used to the context switching of being practically in your home it's just this is just normal now I think it's I think it's really interesting as well because like when you know when Maggie comes and interrupts me I am a mom and I'm also a person at work mm. but I think people see like a different side to you through the pandemic because they were like oh yeah like you are you are a mom as well and they see because your personality obviously switches when you're talking to your kids you're not yeah. You're normally in some state of like catatonia when your children are around. Um, <laughs> please stop talking to me. Um, so, yeah, I think it's quite interesting, like how people's like personalities, I think, have like merged at work now. Yeah. But it's making us be more authentic, which actually, if that's, you know, there's a big push on wellness and being authentic at work and being your true self, if that true self is you suffer from depression or you suffer from mental health challenges, should you not? Should you be scared to say that in an interview process? Should you not be being open and honest about what you need as reasonable adjustments at work? So if you've got caring responsibilities, does that mean, you know, I'm, I'm a part-time work, I work part-time in a business. Does that mean I can't be a director? No, of course it doesn't. 
does that mean you know I've, I've, we, we, there's if there's mental health challenges at home does that mean I can't be good enough for you as an employer you need to think about who you are if you're hiring you know you say you want different people and diversity of thought hopefully it's diversity of thought not diversity of gender or diversity of skin color or, or whatever then maybe you need to be looking in different talent pools and there might not be that polished finished article but who the hell is anyway who is polished all the time yeah. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, Amy, we know that. But yeah, if, if all you're looking for is more of you, you're, mm. you're not going to develop, you're not going to, to improve or change. You're not going to solve the best challenges. No. So, Rosie, one last question for the podcast. What are your, what's your worst horror story around recruitment? Oh, I've got so many. Okay, can we, can we ignore the fact that you gave me some advice? Because that okay. must have been awful for you <laughs> um so there's there's two bugbears i have and rob this wasn't you but people all come to me <laughs> as newbies in the industry and say i want to work in cyber oh great okay what part of cyber what what area of cyber do you want to work in um and they don't you know like okay go away and do this research and I, I have got a youtube channel that's how to find out about different areas in cyber but it's on our honeypot youtube channel um do that then come back to me and then i can help you with what you need to do to develop mm-hmm. so that's one and another is lowballing so if you have a great candidate and the recruitment process has been really slick really smart really smooth and say the candidate wants 70 grand and the client comes back and says i'm gonna offer him 65 <laughs> like why why are you gonna offer him 65 well you know that fits better with with where other people are in the business but all the way through they want 70 they're mm. on 65 now or whatever yeah. no offer it them and they say no and then the client comes back and says okay offer them 70 yeah just offer them 70 in the first place but but you've it's already so totally destroyed the, the yeah. relationship you may have had yeah yeah even if they accept 70 now that person is you know, still with an agency, they might still be with competitor agencies, still interviewing with competitors. So they might verbally accept 70 and they've got a three month notice period. They've got three months to stew on how much you thought they were worth and how much you've now grudgingly given them. Mm, Whilst yeah. competitors actually, they want 70. The best clients say, we're from 75, but mm-hmm. we expect this within the first three months. Yeah. That's better you know, there's a skill shortage and a talent shortage and there's good <laughs> people out there. And it's 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 these kind of things where you just go, what the fuck? Why are you well, doing that's, that? that's, that's why there's a skill shortage, isn't it? Because people, because it's not it's not a skill shortage. Like you said, it's an expectation shortage. And that's yeah. why people, that's, that's where the whole concept of it comes from. Because companies do shit like that. It's an but it's not just companies. People, no. people as a rule do it. I mean, personally... Every house I've ever bought, and I haven't bought many, the asking price is the price I offer. If yeah. you're asking for, for 180, I'll offer you 180. I'm not going to haggle for 3,004. Yeah. For goodness sake, if you you told me what you wanted, <laughs> I'm yeah. either happy well, to yeah. offer that or I'll look for something else. I mean, when, yeah, when, um, I, when I bought my house, I offered the asking price, but then I found out it had a damp problem, so I made them pay for some of that. But, but that, that's different. You you adjust yeah. for, for things. Yeah, but, but it's that, like, I mean, but, your but, husband but, is a self employed plasterer. 
I, I'm sure he gets the phone call saying, I'd like you to do this job. Well, it will be cost you this much. Oh, somebody else offered to do it cheaper. We'll go with them. Yes, but yeah. I prefer you. Well, yeah. It doesn't work like that. No, <laughs> no, because you're it's just so frustrating. I mean, we get it with recruitment fees, but it's at the start. It's at the start of a process. Normally, you don't work a job until you've agreed your recruitment fees, and you'll say our fee is X. Because obviously, they, you know, not hiding away from the fact we charge clients for recruitment. We don't charge until they start, and half the time, if somebody leaves within the three month period, we either replace them with another person or we pay the fee back. So. We are in the business of putting people in work. We get paid for it. But if that person isn't right, for whatever reason, we pay feedback, fees back or percentage yeah. of the fees back. But you do that you do that negotiation at the start. You don't do that at the end. So if you say the salary is this, okay, this candidate wants this. I'm going to interview them and put them through a recruitment process and waste every fucker's time to then do that at the end. And you're just like, it's always on a Friday. It's always last thing on a Friday. Um and I will give them my opinion. If you do this, you are at risk of losing the candidate. Mm-hmm. They won't accept because we pre-close people. We, you know, we half the time through the recruitment process, we know what they want, why they want it, why they're moving, what's really important to them, what their wife thinks about their career move or husband thinks about their career move, how it'll affect the kids. Will they be able to do pickups? We know all these things about them. And it's not because, A, it's because we're really nosy, but we're making sure that this is right for them. Mm-hmm. And then if at the end you don't respect our opinion enough to lowball on the salary, you won't do that to me again. Yeah. That That is one of my carte blanches. No, you, you're messing around like that. What is the point of me trying to find your talent mm-hmm. if you're going to do that at the end? Oh. Sorry, ranty. That's it, ran over. I That's... think it's a just, justified rant. I thought that was brilliant. Clients, um, please. <laughs> Have you got a final thought uh, for us before we have to say goodbye? Um, okay. If you really want a job in cybersecurity, uh, whether you're a newbie or whether you are a experienced professional, use your network, use who you know, go to events, go to B-sides, listen to podcasts, reach out to people. Don't ask them for a job. Ask them for their experience or their thoughts on something that's relevant that mm-hmm. you're interested in or ask them how to find out more. Ask them to help you. Ask them to review your portfolio and you will get a job if you do that enough times by properly networking. But don't just take from the community. Give back as well. Yeah. You know, it's a two-way street. If you're selfish, you know, kicking other people down, you're not going to get very far or you're going to get a name for yourself. So it has to be a two-way street. And when you are in that role, make sure you do things to send that elevator back down to bring other people into the industry. And that's how we can make security better for everyone. Excellent. Thank you so much, Rosie. That was absolutely brilliant. Um, And we will be back next week with another super exciting guest who I haven't lined up yet. So let's see who it is. Who knows?